Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Welcome back. Tom Harvin here with you. You know, the uh, Senate Republicans on the Intelligence Committee oversaw this uh, three-year inquiry into the collusion. It used to be called alleged collusion. Now we can simply call it collusion between the Trump campaign and the Russian government. Trump's foreign policy advisor lied under oath about this and has been busted. His national security advisor lied under oath about it and was sentenced to jail for it. His campaign chairman lied under oath about this and was sent to prison for it. Trump's deputy campaign chairman lied under oath for this and uh, was convicted of it. Uh, Trump's personal lawyer lied under oath about his contacts with Russia and uh, went to prison for it. His political consultant lied under oath about contacts with Russians. His attorney general has repeatedly lied under oath before Congress, which is under oath. And of course, the Republicans in their summary said that Donald Trump lied about it to Congress, to federal investigators. I mean, that's some amazing Russia hoax, right? It's interesting that, you know, the Republicans on the Senate committee let this thing come out Um, But, you know, some of these members like Tom Cotton are already trying to minimize it. But, you know, there it is. Right. That this this is actually what happened. They the Senate report uh, mentions. And this is the interesting thing between this and back uh, prior to Adam Schiff taking over the Intelligence Committee in the House. It was Devin Nunes. And so the Republicans in the House, they did a report on Russian interference in the election and collaboration and collusion with the Trump campaign. Uh, They did that report while Devin Nunes was still running the House. And the Senate took more time. They took three and a half years to do their report, or three years. And theirs just came out yesterday. The Senate report mentions Konstantin Kalimnik, who is a Russian oligarch, a relatively young man, actually, who's also, according to the Senate report, almost certainly an, an intelligence operative or agent or asset of the Russian government. Uh, The Senate report mentioned Konstantin Kalimnik 819 times. He's the guy that Paul Manafort was delivering 
secret, you know, internal secret Republican polling data to in the last months of the campaign. He was delivering it to Kalimnik, and Kalimnik was, you know, apparently, uh, or the implication of this, was passing it along to whoever was coordinating the social media campaigns to say, hey, we got to get up in, in Wisconsin a point and a half, and hey, we've got to get another 300 people in Illinois or whatever it may be. The House report that Devin Nunes did does not mention Kalimnik once. I find that remarkable. The Senate committee says that Paul Manafort is, quote, a grave counterintelligence threat who had worked with Russian operatives before the election as well. Marco Rubio said, we found irrefutable evidence of Russian meddling. So all this stuff is apparently real and apparently going on and stuff that we need to be talking about. On the line with us right now is Soshi Inahosa, Associate Communications Director and a spokesperson with the DNC, Democrats.org, of course. And Soshi, welcome to the program. So glad to have you with us. Tell us about how the convention seems to be going from your point of view. I'm sure it's, it's going wonderfully, but what your thoughts are and what we can expect tonight. Absolutely. So I think that what you're seeing from Democrats over the four days of our convention is the message of unity. The theme of our convention is Uniting America. You saw that leadership matters, and you saw a number of elected officials and leaders and Americans all across this country that talked about Joe Biden's steady leadership. On Monday, you saw a number of different things, including stories from the American people. The theme was We the People. It was a very diverse program on both days. And then you're going to see a theme of a more perfect union, which will really focus on a number of issues to get us out of this crisis and also Joe Biden's plan to help us build back better. So we're going to talk a little bit about climate change. We're going to talk about our broken immigration system. We're going to talk about gun violence that we see all across America. The first female vice presidential nominee, also from Barack Obama, Hillary Clinton and Nancy Pelosi and Governor Michelle Lujan Grisham. So we have a number of stars from our party. And then again, throughout the four days and including tonight, you'll hear the stories of Americans who have been impacted by Trump, but then also Americans who have been helped by Joe Biden. And so we're really excited about tonight. Yeah, I'm just so impressed with the quality of the production that you all have been putting together. And, you know, this has to have been basically a last minute thing, given that, you know, we didn't even know COVID was coming until, uh, well, I guess the administration knew in November. But, you know, we didn't know until January and really didn't even think it was coming until March. One of the things that I really loved was the, the essentially crowd shots, you know, the, the people in their homes applauding and, uh, you know, and things like this. It's just, you know, I just want to tip my hat to you guys. How is the platform coming together for the party? Well, the platform was voted on over two weeks. Um, basically, the process that we have put together is that you have a platform drafting committee, and they took the first draft and voted on it and sent it to the full platform committee. The full platform had an open live streamed meeting. We obviously can't meet in person because of the pandemic, unfortunately, but we were able to do this over a day and live stream it so that the American people could see the various issues that we were taking up. 
they voted on it and then sent it to all of the delegates in order to vote on it as well. So delegates over the course of two weeks were able to vote on the presidential nomination and the platform. And those votes were due on Saturday. And you saw last night, right before the nine o'clock hour, that the chairs of the platform committee adopted the report. They presented it and the, the delegates adopted it. And so we're proud to pass the most progressive platform in history. And we are excited um, to elect Joe Biden. That's great. Soshi, what is the main takeaway that you want the American people to have out of this convention and going forward in this campaign? Let me just qualify that. It seems to me that the main message that I'm getting out of all of this is Joe Biden is a decent man. You can trust him to put together a team of people who actually care about America, who are going to rely on science with regard to the COVID thing, and who are going to move forward, and that the Democratic Party is making a lot more space for progressives going forward. That's my sense of it. What's, what, how would you summarize it? Well, absolutely. I think how I would summarize it is Joe Biden and Kamala Harris are ready to lead on day one. And you will see over the four nights, and frankly, we'll be making the case until November, that they have what it takes to lead our country out of this mess. We also want to unify people. And I think that's what you're going to see. I can't emphasize this enough that over the what you're going to see over the next four days, there will be a pretty stark contrast between our convention, which is focused on unity. You have progressives, you have Republicans, you have people who have never voted before, people who are not involved in politics showcased in our program. And then next week with the Republican convention, I have no doubt that you will see fear mongering, divisiveness, chaos, things that have sort of been centered at Donald Trump's presidency. And so I think that when you're looking at the two parties and what we have put forward, the American people will see clear we're about uniting the country. Amen. <laughs> I agree. Soshi Hinojosa, the communications director and a spokesperson for the DNC Democrats.org. Soshi, thanks so much for dropping by. Thanks so much for having me. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Just a heads up that I'm doing two book events. You know, normally when I show up in a town, you know, to do a book signing, the way that you hear what I have to say is by showing up at the bookstore. Well, you know, these are different times. And, you know, it used to be if you didn't live in that town, you couldn't even get to the bookstore. We are doing virtual events, live virtual events, August 25th with Powell's here in Portland. David Corton, in fact, is going to be talking with me. And in Seattle, with Seattle Town Hall, again, a live virtual event. That'll be Friday, September 4th. So just a heads up on that. Ralph Nader wrote of this new book. It's called The Hidden History of Monopolies, How Big Business Destroyed the American Dream. He said, this is the most important dynamic book on the cancers of monopoly by giant corporations written in our generation. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Rick in Woodland Hills, California. Hey, Rick, what's on your mind? Yes, several things, but the postal uh, situation is uh, paramount. I sent a tweet out in the first one of the years addressed to the APWU National, which is the American Postal Workers Union, to Bernie, to you, to Randy, to Stephanie, to ask for the establishment of a fund reception point in order to receive donations expressly for the purpose of paying overtime, treating election mail as first-class mail, and lease purchase of sorting machines. 
that was yeah none of this should require donations rick i mean you know the the post office has been doing just fine for 240 actually longer than that ben franklin was made postmaster general not by the u.s congress but by the constitutional congress in 1797 it was two years before the united states constitution was ratified 1787 excuse me right uh no this was to address the immediate problem there's like 160 yeah. million dollars that's set aside to handle things like the election and getting the veterans their uh, their medicine and stuff like that. And this was to yeah. get that handled. All they'd have to do, really, because we could go through uh, Facebook offers to handle any donations to a nonprofit without charge. It could be mm-hmm. over the whole thing and get. Well, it's a start, Rick. And I'm so pleased that people are trying to figure out ways, and good on you for doing so, that we can solve this crisis that Donald Trump has created. And Steve Mnuchin, you know, the guy who should be in prison for throwing people out of their homes back in 2008 and instead is our Treasury Secretary. Anyhow, David in Mendocino, California. Hey, David, thanks for watching Free Speech. What's up? Well, you're welcome, Tom. Thank you. And I have to express my admiration for the stamina you folks must have to deal with all the huge issues on your table right now. But my question has to do with the extended unemployment. And although, you know, it's been almost three weeks since we've had any continuance or there's very little information on what may or may not be happening with that, any movement on that, and whether Congress has any way of putting pressure on the Senate to return from their quote-unquote vacation? The House of Representatives back in May, this is August, June, July, August, more than three months ago, passed a piece of legislation that would have extended that $600 a week all the way into January of next year so that the new Congress could pick it up and decide what to do with it. Uh, It's called the HEROES Act. It also fully funds our elections. It also fully funds the post office to the tune of $25 billion. That law passed the House of Representatives and went to the Senate in May. And Mitch McConnell has refused to do anything about it. So the entire problem here right now, and I get it, you know, Nancy Pelosi is going to go back to the House and try to pass a standalone thing for the post office, but they're, they're talking about trying to add long-term unemployment insurance to that. But the barrier here is Mitch McConnell, period, full stop, and the Republicans who support him in the United States Senate. So, David, you don't have any Republican senators, but you might want to start calling Republican senators at 202-224-3121 and absolutely raising hell about this because that's where the blockage is occurring. Sometimes Louise and I just crave a restaurant-quality dinner at home without doing all the work or driving. Well, Cook Unity is the first chef-to-you service delivering locally sourced meals from award-winning chefs right to your door every week. And it appears to be less expensive than other delivery options. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. We just received our first meals from Cook Unity. And what a huge difference it is to get the best chefs in the country to bring creative, delicious meals to us and you every week. Every meal is handcrafted by chefs and made in local micro kitchens, not large production facilities. We just had the chipotle maple glazed salmon with green beans and mango pico de gallo. It had everything we love in a meal. They have all sorts of options like vegan, paleo, pescatarian, gluten-free, and more. Menus are posted two weeks in advance so you have plenty of time to choose. 
Experience chef-quality meals every week delivered right to your door. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using the code Hartman or going to cookunity.com slash Hartman. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. So next week, the Republican National Committee, the RNC, the Republican Party, is holding their convention to crown Donald Trump as their candidate for a second term in office. And they've invited a few people who are noted mostly for their threats of violence or extreme bad manners, including two multimillionaires who pointed guns at Black Lives Matters protesters in front of their St. Louis mansion, and that smirking maggot kid who stared down a Native American elder. So, you know, I'm wondering, who else are they going to invite? They haven't announced the whole lineup. Are they going to invite Jacob Holtzlander? who shouted Trump's name over and over again while he was attacking and beating a cab driver in Grand Rapids, Michigan, because the driver was an immigrant from East Africa. Are they going to invite Dusty Paul Lacombe, who beat up a black man at a convenience store in San Antonio while screaming Trump's name? Are they going to invite Robin Rhodes, who, while shouting, Trump will get rid of all of you, physically and verbally assaulted a female Delta Airlines employee at JFK International Airport just because she was wearing a hijab? Are they going to invite Miami's Gerald Wallace, who after Trump the previous day had lied at a rally in Florida that Muslim refugees had just launched a terrorist attack in Sweden, phoned a mosque in Miami Gardens and threatened to, quote, shoot you all, end quote. 
How about Brandon Davis of North Carolina, the guy who ran two gay men riding bicycles off the road in Key West shouting, you live in Trump country now. Or Anthony Scott Lloyd, who was convicted of threatening to kill Maxine Waters. He told her, quote, if you continue to make threats toward the president, you're going to wind up dead, Maxine, because we'll kill you, end quote. Or how about Nicholas Bukowski of Maryland, who was convicted of threatening to kill Bernie Sanders and Kamala Harris, saying, quote, you won't want to be caught off guard when I use my Second Amendment protected firearms to rid the world of you, end quote. How about Florida's Caesar Sayoc, who was convicted of mailing 15 deadly bombs to Democrats across the country while living in a van covered with pro-Trump stickers and newspaper clippings? Or Tampa's Bruce Alexander, who groped a woman on a flight to Albuquerque and then when he was busted told federal authorities, quote, the President of the United States says it's okay to grab women by their private parts. You got it? End quote. Will the Republicans put Brooklyn's Michael Brogan on TV, the guy who told a United States senator's office, quote, I'm going to put a bullet in you, you and your constant lambasting of President Trump, end quote? Or how about David Boileau of Holiday, Florida, who was arrested for burglarizing the home of Iraqi immigrants and then told police that if he hadn't succeeded in driving them out of the community, that, quote, Trump will handle it. You know, one of the hallmarks of the rise of a fascist politician, whether it's in the United States, whether it's in Italy, whether it's in Germany, whether it's in Spain, whether pick your country. One of the main hallmarks of the rise of a fascist politician is violence. Fascist politicians use violent rhetoric, violent metaphors, and encourage or at least condone and accept violence on the part of their followers, and they never call it out. They never tell their followers not to do this. Never in the history of the United States has there been widespread violence perpetrated by the followers of a single president until now. You know, maybe I should qualify that. The violence of slavery certainly was being promoted by many of the original founders, but you know, I, this is qualitatively, it's a different thing. And ABC News has now documented more than 50 cases of explicit threat. Let's say in the modern era, you know, in the last 100 100 years, we've never seen. ABC News has now documented more than 50 cases of explicit threats and violence, not just committed by Trump followers, but all of them by Trump followers who explicitly said they were committing this violence in Trump's name because they believed he wanted them to. It's going to be interesting to see how many of these people show up at the Republican convention next week. I mean, this new thing, qualitatively, inserting this political hate into our body politic, it's bizarre. There's a new summer rule, a new rule that the Postmaster General just put into place that's getting almost no publicity at all. This was in the Anchorage Daily News. The Postal Service has quietly instituted a rule change this summer that will make it harder for voters in some rural areas to meet the witness requirements for casting an absentee vote. It's a nationwide rule change. They just noticed it in Alaska this week. In Alaska and several other states, uh, James Brooks, who is uh, a reporter, said, In Alaska and several other states, absentee ballots must be signed by a witness who can verify that a ballot was legitimately filled out by a particular voter. Without that signature, the ballot will not be counted. Alaska's Division of Elections Director Gail 
Fenumani is sending a letter to the Postal Service demanding answers. In fact, her letter said, or his letter, I'm not sure, said, can you provide me with an explanation and a copy of the official postal regulation stating this mandate? You know, the bottom line is Donald Trump doesn't want people to vote. Oh, and by the way, who is responsible for the destruction of the post office? Turns out it's largely Susan Collins. That Postal Accountability and Enhancement Act in 2005 that causes the post office to have to set aside $5 billion a year for people who are going to retire in 75 years. Susan Collins was the sponsor of it. She introduced it into the Senate. As the chair of the Senate Oversight Committee, she shepherded that bill through Congress. And by the way, it was in a lame duck session and it was voted on by a voice vote. So you don't know exactly who voted and who didn't. But Susan Collins was the one who sponsored the legislation or co-sponsored the legislation. This is all, you know, an intentional plan to destroy the post office so it can be privatized. So Louis DeJoy or some other big Republican donor can go from being a multimillionaire. You know, he, he sold his company for, what, $650 million, I believe it was, to go, you know, but he's not yet a billionaire. But if he owned the Postal Service, if he, if he was privatized, he would be a billionaire. Fair and only slightly unbalanced. I'm Hartman here with you. We'll be back with your calls after this. On the line with us is our old buddy Ben Wickler. He was the Washington, D.C. director of MoveOn.org when he used to drop into our studio from time to time when we were in D.C. Uh, he is now the chairman of the Wisconsin Democratic Party. Wisdems, W-I-S-D-E-M-S.org is the website. And his Twitter handle is Ben Wickler, W-I-K-L-E-R. Ben, welcome back. I'm curious, first of all, how you think this is all playing out in Wisconsin. Wisconsin was one of the states in the last election that if the election numbers are accurate and hadn't been tampered with by some foreign power went for Donald Trump, and uh, this time seems therefore very consequential. Wisconsin is, according to most models I've seen, the tipping point state this year. If the Trump campaign said in a closed-door briefing that was recorded and leaked last year, if we win Wisconsin, we win the election. If we lose Wisconsin, we lose the election. Of course, my goal every day is to make sure that Trump loses Wisconsin and loses the election. This is a convention that was supposed to put Milwaukee on the national stage. It was going to introduce folks to our state. I have to say, there's a combination of heartbreak and elation. The heartbreak is that there isn't this infusion of $200 million in economic activity in downtown Milwaukee that Milwaukee could definitely use in the midst of Trump's coronavirus recession. The elation is that even though so many things have changed. And even though we've had to make it a virtual convention where people are tuning in from their living rooms across the country instead of gathering in person, the actual programming is soaring past expectations so intensely. And people are feeling this very intimate experience. Every text message I've gotten from a member of our delegation that would have been there in the arena has been overwhelmingly positive. And I think the way that the convention team is knocking it out of the park, and frankly, the Biden campaign is demonstrating its ability to tell a story that threads everybody into this larger fabric. It's really powerful, and it's giving people a lot of hope in a dark time. Yeah, I completely agree. I was very impressed last night. I commented to Louise, it seems like 
basically somebody sat down and said, okay, we're going to do a two or three hour kind of infomercial thing. And I don't mean that in a, in a dismissive or denigrating way, but a production that is designed to basically sell this candidacy that, that has a very clear message and a very clear call to action in it. And we're going to use the very best production values of Hollywood and everything else, everything that we know how to do in this political context, and yet also make it very folksy, very homegrown. I loved the you know, Zoom call people applauding after uh, Michelle Obama, for example, and after Bernie Sanders and things. I, I, I was just so impressed by the whole thing. Ben, are you getting signals from people in Wisconsin that this is moving the needle, number one? And number two, I know that to a large extent, the problems in Wisconsin, the Wisconsin election, were not in 2016, were not just caused by the fact that Hillary Clinton never bothered to visit the state, but were also caused by Wisconsin Republicans and Scott Walker throwing hundreds of thousands of people off the voting rolls, particularly in the big cities that tend to vote Democratic, and particularly among people with common minority names, African-American names, and, and in particular Hispanic names. Has that been cleaned up? How is Wisconsin doing now? I think of 2016 as a collision of two factors. On the one hand, poll after poll, every single public poll showed Clinton up. On election day, the average, the polling average showed Clinton was going to win by six and a half percentage points. And so the Clinton team did not think that Wisconsin was a battleground, and they invested and strategized accordingly everything from presidential schedule to TV ads, which didn't start till October 28th. The other side of the coin was that all of these efforts to rig the system took full force in November of 2016. Not just the Russian interference that was well-documented targeting voters in Milwaukee, especially African-American voters, to sow distrust of Hillary Clinton. Also, voter ID, the incredibly harsh and restrictive voter ID law, the first election where that took effect was 2016. Uh, Changes to voter registration rules to make it harder to do in-person voter registration, something that Democrats and progressives have relied on. The smashing of organized labor in Wisconsin had taken a massive toll by Election Day in 2016. All of these different efforts came together, and we lost by 22,748 votes. This time, the Republicans are just as ferocious in their attempt to try to suppress the vote. But our side knows that every vote could tip the entire presidential election in our state. We swept every election in 2018 in Wisconsin for the first time since 1982 at a statewide level. This spring, Republicans tried to do everything in their power to suppress the vote. We fought all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court and our state Supreme Court. They forced the election to be held in person with no, uh, very little relief for absentee voters. All the relief we got was won in court against their opposition. But we organized a massive campaign to help people sidestep the GOP's voter suppression machine, and we won a landslide, 10 percentage points, in only the second time in half a century a sitting Supreme Court Mm. justice has lost a seat. So we have the kind of energy and grassroots organizing chops to go into this fall and make it look very different. And there's no shortage, let me assure you. There's a full-scale investment and focus on Wisconsin from Joe Biden and Kamala Harris all the way down to local state legislative candidates. That is great. We're talking with Ben Wickler. He's the chair of the Wisconsin Democratic Party and formerly was the D.C. director for MoveOn.org. And in that context, Ben, let me take this from the micro to the macro, from Wisconsin to the entire United States. You were talking about all the ways that Republicans have tried to prevent people from voting in Wisconsin and how successful they were, frankly, in 2016 in many of those regards. They obviously have been doing that kind of thing all over the country, particularly in those states where Republicans have control of the states. 
and I'm sure you're maintaining your connections to MoveOn.org and other national groups. To what extent do you see this very successful pushback that you all have mounted in Wisconsin being replicated or variations on it being played out in other states across the country this year? I've been thrilled to see both among independent groups like Move On, where I used to work, and with state parties and the Biden campaign, which, to its great credit, has integrated with local infrastructure and is helping build local infrastructure in state parties across the country, not something that every presidential campaign does. All across the board, folks are figuring out new ways of doing the critical age-old work of helping people cast a vote. And I've seen the public reports that Move On is helping train people in vote tripling, where you recruit friends. You ask voters not only to commit to vote, but also to give you the first names of friends that they will have turn out. That's something we're doing also at the Democratic Party of Wisconsin, and I think it's happening across the country. The effort to track who requests an absentee ballot and then make sure that those folks get outreach about how to do it. And frankly, if the president advertises our postal system, we'll switch gears and ask people to hand deliver their absentee ballots. That is a way of getting around this that Trump can't control. And he's freaking out because cities are putting up drop boxes for their ballots that are, are safe and secure that sidestep his sabotage completely. So there's a tremendous amount of ingenuity. And I think folks are learning from each other about how to make democracy work when the president wants it to fail. Ben, we got about 20 seconds left. Your thoughts on what we need to do to make sure that this president fails between now and, and Election Day? I'll tell you the number one thing. Do everything early. Request your ballot now. Turn it in the first day you can. Recruit friends and volunteer now to get the absentee ballot request in. The earlier we do things, the less his last-minute hand grenades can blow things up. Let's organize now and win in November. Wisconsin Democratic Party Chair Ben Wickler, formerly with MoveOn.org. WISDEMS, W-I-S-DEMS.org is the website. Ben's uh, Twitter handle, of course, Ben Wickler, W-I-K-L-E-R. Ben, thanks so much. It's great talking to you again. Thanks, Thanks so much. Great to be back. It's the Tom Hartman program, the place where despair is not an option. We will get through this. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, all into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. It's accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? 
Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. I normally find bras to be so uncomfortable and constricting. But Skims has changed that. You know I love Skims underwear, so I finally tried their bras, and Skims has delivered again. Skims bras are worth the hype for the amazing shape and support they give, but what I wasn't expecting was how comfortable they are too. I've tried so many bras in the past, and the main issue that I have is that they weren't supportive enough, to the point where they felt slouchy. I love my Skims wireless form bra because it's so comfortable and supportive. The older I get, the more I care about actually being comfortable in what I wear every day. And with my wireless form bra, I no longer have to sacrifice my comfort for the support I need. Shop Skims Bras at skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A to 46H. Plus, get free shipping on all orders over $75. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select Podcast in the survey, and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. Laura in Chicago. Hey, Laura, what's up? I think you know, remember that I'm with Clean Council County. We're Election Integrity Group in Chicago. And about oh, this whole situation with vote by mail. And we are definitely recommending everybody, if you're going to vote by mail, to return your ballot by hand rather than use the post office. No question about it. Mm-hmm. Here in Chicago, super easy. We got secure drop boxes in every early voting center for two weeks. It's going to be super easy to do that. In Ohio, first of all, South Korea had an entire election in April using face masks, hand sanitizers, and distancing. And they documented that not one case of COVID was transmitted during their But election. at that point in time, Laura, in South Korea, you know, a country of, what, 30 million people, I think, more or less, there were fewer than 300 COVID deaths in the entire country, in the entire history of COVID. And there were only 10, 15,000 maybe I'm sorry, I don't remember the exact number, but it was low total cases. We have five million total cases. We're on on track to six million. I'm not saying that there's not a risk. I'm just saying that it can be done, okay? Because they went and they tested and they documented that not one case was transmitted. So even if, like in Ohio, the governor is not saying, oh, you don't have to wear face masks, people could be outside the polls encouraging the voters going in, hey, here's a face mask, please wear it, okay? People can choose to wear a face mask. And also, I wear swimming goggles. If I'm in a really highly risky situation, I wear swimming goggles Mm -hmm. to protect my eyes, just FYI. So that's one thing. Sunglasses might work, too. Sunglasses, some kind of eye protection is great. And um, so that's one thing to organize around that. Really do not use the post office. And so for those counties in um, Ohio that just have the one drop box, typically you can drop off your vote by mail ballot in the election division itself also. So there might be two options there. Okay, those counties, one of the things that you worry about is that a million people will drive to the drop box at the same time. Right. So people could organize themselves. They could organize like I was just thinking, what would I do here in Chicago? I would highly encourage us to organize ourselves so that if we only had one drop box, which we're not going to have, 
so that wards, you know, one through uh, five would be voting on Tuesday and Wednesday, you know, dropping their ballots off on Tuesday or Wednesday. People can organize themselves. And that would be really, really good thing to think about in Ohio. But for sure, we are definitely not recommending to use the post office. In the best of all possible worlds, I, you know, it was Ohio where we saw these 12 and 13 hour lines in the election of 2004 when Ken Blackwell basically delivered the the election to George W. Bush, even though John Kerry yeah. was was, in my opinion, won that election. And we've seen it in Ohio numerous times since then. And, you know, that back then that was Ken Blackwell running the elections. I'm not I don't recall the name of the guy who's running them now, but I predict that we're going to see multi hour lines of cars trying to drive up to these drop boxes and right. they're probably not going to make the drop boxes convenient for you to you know just pull up and put your hand out the window they're probably going to be drop boxes that you've got to stop the car get out of the car walk 10 steps to the drop box you know open the handle and all this kind of i mean they're going to do everything they can to make it difficult that but the republicans we, we have been doing this since the 80s if we organize, uh, we can defeat most of their schemes, I'm telling you right now. So I encourage yeah. Ohio to really put your thinking cap on this thing. Also, I wanted to throw this out, and that is, if, depending on the numbers in the states that are saying that they can't certify, one other option is there's going to be a new Congress in early January, and they vote up or down every state electors. And they could throw out a couple of these state electors and alter the math alter the math. And that is in our Constitution as well. So we should get up on that option. It's another option. The Congress yeah. is throwing out one or two state electors and altering the math. Okay? Yeah. Okay. okay. Got it. Laura, thank you. You can help America return to democracy by telling friends and family how to listen to this and other great progressive programs. Tag, your it. Rhode Island had a law that said that, and by the way, several states have laws like this, that say that if you're going to send a mail-in ballot, an absentee ballot, it has to be either witnessed by two people. You either have to have two witness signatures or you have to go to a notary public, to a, you know, to a bank or a state or federal office where there's a notary. The Secretary of State, who runs the elections, basically, Nellie Gorbea is her name, in Rhode Island, said, we're not going to do that this year. We're going to suspend that rule. In fact, she said, your health should never be the price of admission to our democracy. And she said, we're going to make it easier to vote safely from home by removing the burden of obtaining two witnesses or a notary. This is a common sense step that will protect Rhode Islanders during this pandemic. Republicans immediately sued and said, no, you've got to put that law back in place so that if somebody wants to vote by mail in Rhode Island, they have to have two witnesses or the ballot has to be notarized. They sued and took it to the Supreme Court that fast, probably thinking that the Supreme Court would agree with them. The Supreme Court just said, no, we're going to let Rhode Island do whatever they want, which is real interesting. I mean, this is the first defeat. This is, I think, the fourth or fifth case now that the Supreme Court has ruled on in the last couple of weeks that have to do with helping Republicans, you know, stifle or, or, you know, make it harder and harder for people to vote. This is the first one that has gone against the administration. So we'll see how this plays out. Dave in Manhattan. Hey, Dave, thanks for listening to SiriusXM. What's on your mind today? Hi, Tom. I wanted to talk about the possibility of Trump remaining in the White House after inauguration on January 2021. I'm as worried as you and everyone else about 
Trump stealing the election and all this business about the post office. I agree with you 100 percent on all that. I don't worry, however, about him staying in the White House if Biden wins the election. And the reason why is because the first thing that will happen is the electoral votes will be counted in Congress. And if Biden wins the most, he'll be declared the winner. And then on January 20, 2021, Chief Justice Roberts will swear Biden in as the president. At that moment, he will be president. And uh, Trump will simply be a trespasser if he refuses to leave. He'll have zero power. Nobody will follow an order that he gives. And that'll be that. Let's hope. I mean, what happens if 100,000 bikers show up and if, if police from all over the country who feel that their loyalty is to Donald Trump rather than the Constitution or this country show up? Yeah, well, I, I worry about violence from uh, the right wingers, of course, but it'll kind of be dissipated because the big impact will be first on Election Day or within a few weeks after it'll become clear that Biden wins. There'll be fury and all this turmoil. Then the electoral votes will be counted sometime, I think, in December. I'm not sure. And by the time January 20 rolls around, I think the violence will be dissipated to the point where it won't be an existential threat to USA, as dreadful as it might otherwise be. Those are my thoughts. Well, I hope so, Jim. I hope so. I'm, you know, a couple of weeks ago, that recently, I would have completely agreed with you. Right now, I'm reserving judgment. I am very, very concerned about the things that this guy is doing. Patrick in Long Island, New York. Hey, Patrick, thanks for watching Free Speech TV. What's on your mind today? I was just listening to the young lady, Angela, from uh, Manhattan, and she was, besides being very eloquent and well-spoken, she uh, echoed quite a bit of what I feel. You know, from day one, there was the thought of what happens if Trump never leaves, and what are we going to do? My feeling all along has been that he will lawyer up immediately, and anything short of numbers that favor him, he will fight, be litigious about it. And I can very well see John Roberts saying, Mr. Trump is in court, he has ongoing cases about about the election, and I cannot swear in Joe Biden. And then we have the various people from Fox News who will tell people, please go to the White House, and mom and dad and the kids will jump in a wagon and go down there with the flag, and the bikers will be there, and the cops, and what have you. And then we have ugly situation in the streets, something yeah. that hasn't happened in this country. It happens to other countries, and we watch it on the TV and look at it with, you know, respect and awe, but also with the curiosity of Jesus could erupt into something nasty any minute. Being from Long Island, I've seen Trump try to do development projects. He's tenacious. He hangs on like a dog. He loves to tie people up legally. And my feeling is, as I said, he will challenge it in court. Court will say that Mr. Trump has a case pending and we cannot swear in Joe Biden. And Trump sits there and next thing we know, it's summer vacation for Particularly, you know, your point that you've seen Donald Trump do this in his business life over the years just makes so much sense. It's just, uh, you know, it's, it's yeah, of, of all of all his psychological problems, the one he definitely has is tenacity. And he loves to do what is the most outrageous thing. So he has chaos around him and he loves to thrive in the chaos. Patrick, thank you. Morris in Long Beach, California. Hey, Morris, what's on your mind today? 
Uh, Professor, y'all have to forgive me, but I ain't scared. That fool gonna lose, and he gonna leave the White House. That Second Amendment goes both ways. Yeah, we know about the right wingers flashing their guns, but there's some people that vote Democrat, and they got guns too. And I promise you, on an election night, we ain't gonna have to wait post offices late with the ballots and all that stuff. On election night, the public is gonna know it's gonna be leaning to Mr. Biden and Ms. Harris. They won, and he gone. All this other stuff, this narrative, these what ifs, and if they don't bother me, they really don't. One thing about this country. We ain't got nothing else. If we ain't got nothing else, we got stability, although this guy's trying to wreck that. But he's going to be gone election night, everybody. Calm down. He's gone. Thank you. I hope you are right. You know, I just, I pray to God that you are right, Morris, because this country is in a crisis right now, like I think one we have not seen since 1861. You know, I mean, within weeks of Lincoln getting sworn in, as I recall, uh, you know, the South seceded and that was the end of that. Uh, Maybe it was right after he got elected. We have been through tough times before, and we have made it, but we lost 600,000-plus lives in the Civil War. I don't want to see that repeated. So we need to be thinking right now about how to Trump-proof the presidency in the future. I mean, Donald Trump is causing all kinds of chaos and disasters, and things are, frankly, I think, going to get much worse before they get better. And I don't think they're going to get better until after January 21st or noon on January 20th. And that's assuming that absolute craziness doesn't happen. But there's a bunch of steps that we need to take from recalibrating or fixing how we do our elections to fixing how we handle money in politics to fixing the pardon power of the presidency to specifically saying that if a president is found to be a criminal, he or she can still be held to account. I mean, just straightforward stuff. And we need to be getting ready to do this. I lay it all out in a new video that you can find over at TomHartman.com. Gene in Myerstown, Pennsylvania. Hey, Gene, what's on your mind? Thanks for watching Free Speech TV. I just want to mention my favorite all-in-one voting website. It's vote.org. Do you have to give them your address or your email address in order to use their site? Yeah, you need that. You don't have to put your email address in there, but you can find out if you're registered in about 25 seconds. They've got all the mail-in deadlines, state by state. Okay, vote.org. Okay, I will check that out. I'm pretty sure I've looked at that website before and thought this is a useful resource. Still there. Everybody's got got to get their ballot in really, really early. My only concern, Gene, I don't recall who runs that site, but, you know, a four-letter pure word URL can cost tens of thousands of dollars, hundreds of thousands of dollars, in some cases millions. Who put up the money for Vote.org and how are they monetizing it? Or is this, you know, the project of some group of altruistic people? I don't know the answer to that. So they may be selling your email address or something. Let me check it out before we we speculate. Gene, thank you. Raven in Medford, Oregon. Hey, Raven, what's up? Instead of the party constantly trying to point out the difference between Trump and Biden, it's simply to say that whether or not he's going to pay the bill that's been due to people of color in this country for so long. That's what we really want to know. That's what really needs to be stated. And is Biden going to finally pay the bill that's due to people of color in this country for so long? We don't really care what the yeah. big difference between Biden and Trump are. We look at it as we get either hard racism or soft racism. 
we want to know if the bill that is actually due to us is going to finally be paid. If that bill had been paid, a Trump president would have never happened. You're talking reparations here, Raven, and and it's an important well, not just reparations, but in terms of the voting, housing, medical care, everything. You can't have a democracy oh, yeah. unless you have a truly united people, and we have never right. been a truly united people. That is an excellent and really important point, and one that I think that the Democratic Party is trying to make and is increasingly effectively working toward. But spot on, Raven. Thank you for the call. Tim in Aloha, Oregon. Hey, Tim, thanks for watching Free Speech TV. What's on your mind today? Yeah, you know, Tom, we've talked a number of times before, but uh, I was talking to one of your representatives, and I think the, the key date in the last decade was April 20th of 2011 when uh, Seth Meyers and Obama went after Trump for that correspondence. Did I was you there. Ever see that? You were, I yeah, was in the I room. Mean, I think that's really a significant date because you, you see right after that, he, he started his hyperactive <laughs> lunacy to get Obama out of there. And, you know, talking about yeah. the media, prime example is, is he's having these his daily briefings, which are absolute lunacy, but all it is is it's, it's free campaign for him, and the taxpayers are paying for it. Yesterday, that the classic example is when he said that they could possibly have the vaccine by November 3rd. You know why he said that? Because so his homophobic, racist, misogynistic base can go, see, honey? We'll vote for him on November 3rd, and we'll go get our shot, too. You see what I mean? That's the mentality in this right. country. That's what's happening. Because yeah. bad news sells, you know, overall. That's what the media is involved in. Tune in at 7, and we'll tell you how you're all going to die tomorrow. Oh, and by the way, buy some peanut butter and Viagra in the meantime. You see what I mean? That's how the world works. These guys in the Trump campaign actually, I was going to say, actually believe their supporters are this stupid but it must be it must go beyond belief because they've been doing this for several years now. So it must actually work. I've gotten three emails in the last week that specifically said and one was from Eric Trump. One was from Eric Trump's wife. And the one I got today was from Brad Parscale or somebody, you know, some campaign official right. saying President Trump picked your name out, Fred, from all his entire list of donors to say you're one of his top donors and he would like your advice. Will you please fill out this survey or will you please, you know, or would you please contribute $50 to get a plaque as one of the top 100 contributors to the Trump campaign or whatever it may be? You know, these highly personalized emails that assume that I'm stupid enough to believe that Donald right. Trump is sitting around looking over his donor list and going, oh, Fred Flintstone or oh, Tom Harbin. That's that guy is my guy. I want to have, you know, another one of them was Donald Trump told me that he would like to have dinner with you. Would you please, you know, make a thirty five dollar contribution to put your name in the running for, you know, in other words, to enter the contest, basically. And as we know from Judd Legum's reporting, nobody ever wins these contests. Donald Trump hasn't had dinner with anybody. But they still, you know, they're still doing it. They've got one going for New York next week. They are just screaming to the world that Trump supporters are stupid, that they're low IQ people who don't understand what a con, you know, how a con runs. And uh, I just find it astonishing, Tim. Yeah, it's, it's amazing because what you have to understand is, you know, you look at regional variations in this country. I have friends, I've traveled the country, I have friends all over. We're not a united country. We never really have been. If you look at, you know, educational backgrounds, military background, economics, and so forth. You know, my parents came from Nebraska. You have people that are literally lived four, five, six generations. And their mentality has not changed. You see what I mean? And those are yep, the people that are going to vote for that SOB. It's as simple as that. Yeah, no, I, I, I absolutely get it. Tim, thanks for the call. I, you know, what saddens me, frankly, 
that the Trump campaign is so certain that their supporters are so stupid. Coming up on the science revolution, Noah Greenwald from the Center for Biological Diversity is here on Trump's latest actions to weaken the Endangered Species Act. You know, as we destroy the wild, we destroy ourselves. Dr. Justin A. Frank, MD, drops by and says it is terrifying to have a president who is psychotic and explains why Trump hates anyone who is loved. Former Assistant Secretary for Health under Obama, Dr. Howard Koh, tells us how Biden will handle this pandemic we're in. And lastly, in geeky science, we find out how our bones are made of stars. The Science Revolution, wherever fine podcasts are available. Linda in Pasadena, California. Hey, Linda, what's on your mind today? I think it was Jimmy Carter that brought in the United Nations team to election observe the election. Yeah. yeah. Can we do something like that? In the election of 2004, the UN tried to provide observers to the United States, and there was another another international group that was trying to provide observers. Uh, I forget the name of it. And then the Carter Center wanted to provide observers. And right. the Bush administration basically said, no, we're not going to allow that. And the problems were all in red states. Those were the states where there's massive voter disenfranchisement and active and aggressive poll intimidation. Republican governors across the country said no. And in fact, several legislatures, I believe Ohio was at the top of that list with Ken Blackwell, a secretary of state at the time, actually made it illegal for poll watchers to get close enough to the polls to watch the polls. First of all, we'd have to undo some of those state laws. And secondly, you know, we'd have to change the position of the federal government. I agree with your sentiment. I completely agree with your sentiment. And I think that we need something like that. You know, what exactly well, it might be. Go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, well, if, you know, if they won't allow it in the, if it's by governor, governor by governor, if they won't allow it in the red states, at least we could get observers to ensure the blue state vote goes through. With few exceptions, the blue states are pretty clean. I mean, you've got secretaries of state who are interested in having actual elections and making sure everybody, including Republicans, can vote and vote easily. And I mean, you know, look at Washington state. Well, you're in California. I mean, you know, increasingly that's been the case in California, right down to things like, you know, a nonpartisan commission to redraw congressional districts, you know, ending gerrymandering in, in California, which is a huge big right. deal and yep. change the makeup of, of your assembly, your state assembly and your Senate. In the 16 election and in certain local elections, we have had our differences with the voter registration people and uh, the voter counting people. But anyway, I think that we need to do something. And I understand that you say that we can't have a civilian core that delivers the mail, but can we have a civilian core that watches the mail or that, I don't know, we, I need to get active. Personally, I just feel like I have to do something and I want to know what to do. Be an activist on social media. Be an activist with your local Democratic Party. They're doing things. They're just doing them virtually. Uh, Indivisible.org is doing some really great stuff around the country. With regard to the post office, we just need to be, you know, yelling and screaming. You know, if you don't have a Republican representing you, Linda, in, in California, but tell all your friends in red states to call the congressional switchboard at 202-224-3121 and absolutely raise holy hell with the Republican members of the House and Senate. This is just so wrong. The hidden history of the war on voting tells how the GOP has been stealing elections for decades and will again this year, unless we stop them. We're putting together a series of American history books. It started with a hidden history of guns in the Second Amendment. 
Then we had the hidden history of the Supreme Court, the betrayal of America. Then the hidden history of the Republican war on voting. The hidden history of monopolies, how big business destroyed the American dream. And then next spring, it's going to be the hidden history of oligarchy and tyranny. Welcome back. Tom Harvin here with you. And uh, let's see here. Sherry in South Hadley, Massachusetts. Hey, Sherry, what's on your mind? As a viable alternative to what might be corrupted mail service, I plan to vote early. And I wonder how available that is across states or as an option. Does that help people that the lines won't be as big? It depends on your state. In Georgia some years ago, they actually ended weekend early voting because African-Americans were doing souls to the polls. They, you know, after church, people would get in a bus and go to the polling station. And, you know, Brian Kemp didn't like that. He was secretary of state. So they ended that. So it varies from state to state. But I think, Sherry, you're on to something. And and I'm guessing increasingly what you're going to see is outside of the five states that vote entirely by mail, that you're going to see all across the country, Democrats are going to be showing up for early voting to try to avoid the crowds and try to avoid the COVID, the Trump virus. Hopefully it'll work out. Thank you very much for the call, Sherry. Michael in Fort Collins. I was watching CNN. They did a little thing on mail-in voting here in Colorado and how it works really well. And then Anderson Cooper was interviewing, I think it was Lieutenant Governor or the Attorney General of Alabama. And he gave the the stats over why they use absentee versus universal mail-in saying it costs $5.5 million per cycle with absentee versus $18 million per cycle with universal mail-in. And all it seemed to me was a way to help suppress the vote. I wish Anderson had pushed back on him more, and I was wondering if what your thoughts on that. If well, what the guy was missing, Michael, was, yeah, it may cost $18 million for Alabama to do universal mail-in balloting compared to $5 million for the cost of mailing out what they have right now. And I'm guessing most of that's postage expense. But he's not including, if you do universal mail-in ballots, you don't need polling locations. So he didn't include right. the cost of all those polling locations, hiring all those people, paying for all those machines, paying all these private contractors for maintenance on voting machines, maintaining the voting machines, programming the voting machines. He didn't include any of that stuff. So, you know, he was just lying through his teeth. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Barb in Prescott, Arizona. Hey, Barb, thank you for holding. What's on your mind today? I was just wondering, since Trump is sabotaging the mail-in ballots, why couldn't we take a picture of our ballots along with our signature for the verification and send it in electronically, just like we do depositing a check in our bank. Uh, because there's no provision in law that allows that. Oh, you have to have a... And I'm, I'm not sure you'd want that to happen either, Barb, because pictures are really easily faked and emails are easily faked. I mean, if you want to get into the world where Donald Trump is actually right that a foreign government could be producing phony ballots, that would be the way to do right. it is electronically. You know, I get what you're saying, and, and let me let me give yeah. you f- some fuel for your argument. If I can yeah. safely take a picture of a check I receive in the mail and deposit it right. to my bank, whether yeah. it's a little credit union here in Portland or a giant bank in New York City, if I can do that and know that it's going to be secure, and I can wire transfer a hundred bucks out of my account here in the United States yeah. to uh, you know somebody overseas, as I've recently done, you know, in literally ten seconds, and know that it's going to be a secure transaction. 
why can't we vote using yes, that kind of mechanism? You know, using blockchain technology or using, you know, some of the super secure, highly encrypted technology that our banks use. That's a discussion and a debate that we probably need to have at some point. But up to this point, everybody's been like, oh, you know, we shouldn't do that because it can be hacked. And yes, banks are hacked and we don't want elections hacked. So, you know, having a paper trail is a good thing. But I'll give you that as as a uh, as a potential uh, argument. Uh, I got to move along. Barb, thank you for the call. Liz in Los Angeles. Hey, Liz, thanks for listening to KPFK. What's up? Two solutions to Trump not leaving the White House. If he doesn't leave on the 20th of January, yeah, you turn off the electricity. And if that doesn't get him out on the second day, the second day you turn off the water and all, you you get out the military guard. And as I, have, I need to point out to you, your call screener said, that's what Trump used to do with his tenants that wouldn't leave. He, he did the, the You're right. I didn't think about that. <laughs> Choice is right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and yeah. And, uh, yeah, remember the story? There's a story in Mary Trump's book about Fred Trump Sr. going to an apartment that was complaining about the fact that in the winter they had no heat. It was only 40 degrees and taking off his coat, rolling up his sleeves and opening his collar and saying, boy, is it hot in here? I don't know how you guys can deal with it. By way of saying, I'm not going to pay to turn the heat back on. I wonder if, you know, a whole bunch of exterminators around the country might want to get together and go in and collectively fumigate the White House, right? You just, you know, start blowing pesticide all over the place. Maybe the pests would leave. I don't know. We'll be back with more of the news and more of my thoughts and yours in this kind of national town hall meeting we have here every day on the Tom Hartman program. And in the meantime, don't forget, democracy is not a spectator sport. Never was intended to be. It requires you. So get out there, get active, tag, you're it. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. 